Welcome to On the Way with Tony Crisp. Each weekday, Dr. Crisp will be discussing biblical passages, people, places, and prophecies. Tune in daily to start your day right and deepen your understanding of how to better walk the way and enjoy the journey. Here's your host, Dr. Tony Crisp. Welcome to On the Way. This is Tony Crisp, and this is Podcast 313. Today, I want to take you on a journey with me into the Holy of Holies, and let's examine what happened in ancient times and what happened the day that Jesus died on the cross. You see, the two are inexorably linked because one was giving testimony to the other. In the book of Exodus, chapter 25, God said, I want you to make an ark, a chest, And we looked at the last podcast of what is talked about in Hebrews chapter 9, where inside of this chest, this chest that was 45 inches long, 27 inches wide, and 27 inches deep, he said, in this chest that we call an ark, I want you to put three things. I want you to put the tablets of stone. God wrote those with his own finger. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine just holding those? Can you imagine Moses and what he saw? So great we know that what he saw was that his face was on fire for a period of time. The light of the glory of God, the Shekinah, sometimes called Shekinah or Shekinah, the Shekinah. The glory of God himself was upon his face. And remember, he asked to just see his face. He wanted to know his ways. And he said, God, show me who you are. And God said, I can't do that, Moses. You couldn't stand it. And so the King James Version, I love this, says that he put him in a cleft in the rock, put his hand over his person, over his face, And then God passed by. And when God passed by, he pulled his hand off and let him see his hinder parts. That's what it says. Literally, he saw where he had been. He saw his afterglow and just where God had been caused his face to shine. Now, Moses, as you know, put a veil over his face because Joshua said, your face is on fire. Your face is lighted with the glory of God. Well, Moses knew that wasn't from him. So he knew that it would fade no matter what it was. It wasn't originating within him. So he knew it fade. So he put a veil on his face so that the people would not think that no longer was God upon him. Now, the reason I'm telling you that is that's when those tablets were written. So they were put in the vault, in the ark in the chest. And then, as we looked at yesterday, the golden pot filled with manna, with angels' food, with the bread from heaven. And then there was Aaron's rod that budded, an almond branch that was dead. But God, it's nothing with him to make something dead alive. After all, that's what he did. Jesus really did die, and he brought him back to life again, declared him to be the Son of God with power, according to Romans chapter 1 and verse 4. And yes, you and me... You and I, God has raised from the dead, so to speak. He has brought us to life. He's given us life. We were dead in trespasses and sins. And he's raised us not only from the dead, but set us in the heavenlies, according to the book of Ephesians. Now, I don't want to get sidetracked because I want you to understand how all of this happened and why it all happened and the means whereby it happened. 
Because all I'm going to do is scratch the surface. I do not intend to unpack more than any of us are able to take at one setting. But I can tell you this, that God had all of this arranged. And when he set up the tabernacle, the great worship center, he had all of this in mind. After all, he does know the end from the beginning. And so the scripture says that God told them to put these things as they went along in this chest. All of those were good and gracious gifts from God, the gift of leadership, the priesthood, the sustenance along the way, God sending bread from heaven, literally bread from heaven. Then God being gracious enough to give the moral code to Israel so they could constitute as a nation and have instruction to live by, not only moral instruction, but ceremonial instruction to help them to remember where God had brought them from, who he was, and where he's taking them. All of that in the Torah, in the instruction book. And so God did this. And God said, now, if I'm going to meet with you, I'm going to have to cover all of this up. Why? Because those were reminders, yes, of the goodness and gracious of God, those three elements that were in that chest, but they were also reminders of the failure and the sinfulness and the rebellion of God's people. Yes, before the law was even handed to them, Moses bring it down. Already Aaron had, in a ridiculous way, answered Moses. Moses said, what are you doing, Aaron? He said, I don't know what happened, Mo. I tell you, this was all of a sudden, it just, I mean, people brought their earrings and all those kind of things, and I put them in this pot, and this calf came out. Now, how ridiculous. I mean, that was the most lame excuse, but no more lame than what we give to God. And so God in his mercy forgave them, but they broke the law before he even came down. Moses got so angry, he broke the tablets and God had to write them again. All to say it was a reminder of their failure. So was the manna. God told them, I'll give you all you need. Five days, I'm going to give you a portion just for that day. And then on the sixth day, I'm going to give you enough for a couple of days so that you, until the first day of the week, you don't even have to gather because I want to show you that this is supernatural in orientation and not just a natural phenomenon that you're going to take advantage of. You see, it's very important for us to understand this was supernatural. After all, everything God does is supernatural. I mean, he writes his name and signs it miracle because he is a miraculous supernatural God. He is the one that invented nature. He is certainly above it. He is supranatural. And so that's exactly what he did. And then dead wood coming to life is nothing for the God who made everything. He made wood to begin with. There was nothing there. People often say, well, which came first, the sea or or the tree or the chicken or the egg. Well, all you have to do is read the Bible. God made the trees, God made the animals, and God made everything. And then the seed came after its own kind. So the chicken came first, the tree came first, not the seed. That's evolution. That's uh, some kind of transmutative theory that doesn't hold water scientifically or in the even the fallen brain and mind of man. And so all of these things were there. And God said, I want to meet with you there, but I'm going to cover this. I'm going to cover it, and I'm going to 
put the images of the angelic beings that guard my literal glory in heaven, they're going to guard everything there. And they'll be a reminder that my presence is there. And I'll show up when this is covered and blood is shown. And so God covered that. And that covering, that mercy seat, is the translation of the word copperet. Copperet. And it comes from the word kofer which means a price or a ransom paid. Now, I will let you search that out in Abbott Smith and the other lexicons, but it is rich because this is where life was given for life. This is where blood was shed so that the glory of God could be experienced and be sensed and felt in their midst. God said, once a year, I want you to come in. I'm going to cover all of this up, and I'll meet you here where the blood is. And so he said, I want you to do this and you've got to do it in a certain way. That's right. In a certain way, because that's where I'm going to meet you. That's where I'm going to show up. And so you cannot do this your own way. So God set this covering there and he said, I will have to have a sacrifice, a proper sacrifice, because without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. Now, keep your place there in your mind and fast forward from this 1400 years before Jesus was born in Bethlehem. And now we are at the cross. Now we are at the empty tomb. Now we are past that. And for eight years, there's been no one but Jews that have been saved. And now God has brought in Gentiles into the great church and has made one new man, one new person called the church made up of Jew and Gentile. And now one of the rabbis of the Jewish people by the name of Saul of Tarsus, who has been gloriously, miraculously, supernaturally saved in the midst of doing something that was very wicked. And so God now has commissioned him to write to the church at Rome. And when he comes to chapter 3, after he's been delineating whether you are a Jew or Gentile, that you are a sinner and that man is a sinner from the beginning, there is none righteous, no, not one. That's what he wrote just in a few verses previous to what I'm going to share with you because I want you to turn your attention to chapter 3 and verse 25 where the Bible says that something happened when Jesus died on the cross. Something took place that even those who were there might not have realized was happening, but it was. In the book of Romans, chapter 3 and verse 25, I want to read it to you. Let me begin reading at verse 24. Being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus... Whom God set forth, that is Christ Jesus, Messiah Jesus, was set forth to be a propitiation. That is, he was an appeasement for the wrath of God. He took the penalty of the wrath of God. That's what propitiation is. Now, interestingly enough, that word, copperet, that is translated mercy seat in the book of Exodus, chapter 25, verse 17, that is the word in the Greek Septuagint, which is the Greek translation. Translation of the Hebrew Old Testament, the Hebrew Torah, it says 
that it is the hilasterion. Hilasterion. That is, it is the covering. It is the propitiation. It is the place where the propitiation is made, where the ransom is paid. And he said he did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance, God passed over the sins that were previously committed. You say, well, how were the Old Testament saints saved? They were saved by faith, just like we are. That's what Paul's argument was in Romans chapter 4, the next chapter in the book of Romans. He said Abraham was not saved by his works. Oh, no, he was a wicked man just like anyone else. But God in his great mercy saved him by trust, through faith. That's what the Scripture teaches, and you can reference that in Romans chapter 4, where Abraham is said to be justified by faith, by his faith. How were they saved? They were saved looking forward to the payment that one day the promised one, the anointed one, the Mashiach, the Messiah, would pay. He would make the promises of God good in every way. Now, we know the promises of God are sure anyway, but Messiah came, Jesus came, and paid that debt once and for all. And so what I'm saying to you is that language in chapter 3 and verse 25 of Romans looks like sometimes it's even translated, he looked over the sins that had been committed. Oh, it doesn't mean that he winked at them. He looked over them. He passed over them in the sense that they didn't count. No, it means to look beyond. You see, God saw in the reflection of all those sacrifices, which could never take away sin. That's what the book of Hebrews chapter 10 says. It is impossible that the blood of bulls and goats could take away sin. Lambs and rams could never pay for man's sin. No, they were just a foreshadowing and a type and an exercise to help the people then understand that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness and that God would one day send a Messiah to pay the penalty for sin once and for all. And they were saved as it were on credit. Now God's credit's good because he pays his debts every time. And when Jesus died on the cross, he died at the place of sacrifice. That is, he died exactly where God wanted him to and his death became the hilasterion. Now, it's interesting that when you turn to the book of 1 John, there is a sister word that is used in 1 John chapter 2 and verse 2, and in 1 John chapter 4 and verse 10. Now, I'm going to read those to you just so that you'll never forget these and that you'll mark them in your Bibles. Here's what it says. John said, my little children, these things write unto you that you sin not. That is, the goal of the Christian life is to be like Jesus. The fact is, after we're saved, that doesn't mean that we are going to be sinless, but we certainly should sin less because God's changed our lives. And he said, if anyone sins, and that's a first class conditional sentence for those of you who know something about the Greek uh, syntax, that means that the question, the condition is assumed to be reality because it is in the indicative mode or mood. And so he says, now when you sin, it's not a matter of if, it's when you sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. In other words, we might have sinned, but he didn't, and he's the one that paid the price for us. Now listen to this, and he himself 
itself is the propitiation. There's that word again, but it's not the same word. You see, in Romans chapter 3 and verse 25, it is the word hilasterion, the place of sacrifice, the place of forgiveness, the place where it all comes together. That's translated mercy seat. It says that Jesus became the mercy seat for us. That's right. He covered all of the broken law. He covered all of the insufficiencies. He covered all of the rebellion. But listen to this. It says, and he himself is the propitiation. That's not hilasterion. That is hilasmas. The first part, the root is the same, but this is not the place of propitiation. This is not the place of sacrifice and atonement and covering. This is the blood itself, the very offering itself. Now this says that Jesus in Romans chapter 3 is the place. That is he is the mercy seat. But here it says he is the sacrifice that was put on the mercy seat. And not only that, but John chapter 4 also says in verse 10, in this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the halazmas for our sin, the propitiation for our sin. This word halazmas only used two times in the entire Berit Hadashah, in the entire new covenant. And it's here in the gospel of John, the one who laid his head on the bosom of Jesus. And here he is saying, Jesus is not only the place where the sacrifice would be made to cover our sins, but he is the sacrifice himself. Now, this is amazing because, you see, it points back the fact that Jesus is all in all our salvation. In him, the fullness of the Godhead dwells bodily. In him, we are complete. We lack nothing in him. All we have to do is come to him and God takes care of us. And this is why on the cross, Jesus said in the Greek text to Telestai, the debt has been paid. And that's exactly what he did. He paid in full. He took the wrath of God. Where we failed, he did not. Where we rebelled, he did not. And the amazing thing is that not only did he die to pay for our sins, but through his life, that is his obedient life. And yes, his resurrected life, because that's how we experience it. But we are saved much more by his life because you see the righteousness that Jesus earned on this life in total obedience to God. He now places on your account and on mine so that when God looks at us, He looks at the person of the Lord Jesus Christ who died as the perfect sacrifice for our sins and placed that blood, his perfect blood that was shed for our sins on the altar in heaven. Can you imagine what a day that was? You say, do you really believe that there's an altar in heaven? Well, the Bible says there is. And so if the Bible says it, I believe it. I pray this is a blessing to you as you walk on the way. This is Tony Crisp. Thanks for listening to On The Way with Tony Crisp. Tune in every weekday for information on biblical passages, people, places, and prophecies. Fridays are for your questions. Email your questions to questions at TonyCrisp.org. Then just listen for your question to be answered on Friday's podcast. That's questions at TonyCrisp.org. Thanks for listening and have a blessed day on the way.